hoping to sound a bit better this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 335 of the internet's longest-running Argentine football podcast, I think in any language. Mm. Um, I'm Sam Kelly, and before I introduce my two cohorts this week, I'm going to make an apology. If you listened to last week's episode, uh, then you probably noticed, even though almost none of you, uh, only one of you actually wrote in to say so, uh, that the sound was a bit crap in particular, uh, Dan sounded awful and the reason for that it was entirely my fault it was nothing to do with Dan or Andres um, I, I bolstered up the settings on the microphone and essentially Dan was talking into a, a switched off microphone when I didn't realise until afterwards so I apologise for that hopefully it won't happen again at least for another 334 episodes um, and on that note I shall now introduce English Dan Hello and I hope everyone can hear me a little bit better this time this time this time Fingers crossed and Andres. Hello. We're both back. We are supported by our wonderful Patreon supporters. Thank you very much to them. And if you want to become one of them and get an extra couple of episodes each week, totaling about half an hour of exclusive extra content, uh, then you can go over to patreon.com slash handofpod. And we are also sponsored um, by Fanatis, who are really the ideal sponsor for a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this and you'd like to watch more Argentine football... Um, then you can do so with Fanatis as long as you're outside Latin America. You just go to fntz.co slash HOP and if you plug in the discount code HOPFZ you will get 20% off your first three months with them. They have the rights outside Latin America to the um, Copa Superliga which is currently happening to the Superliga itself and to the Copa Argentina as well as some other domestic South American competitions. And if you're lucky enough to live in the United States of America, the most freedom-loving country in the world, uh, then you can also watch the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana via their tie-ins with um, that, that channel, uh, BN Sports, that's the one that's got them, um, and also La Liga and Ligue 1 from France and Spain and, and various other competitions as well. So check it out. Uh, that, again, was fntz.co, C-O, slash H-O-P, and the discount code is, uh, what's the discount code? H-O-P-F-Z. I almost forgot it. I almost mm. got that mixed up. Anyway, if there is there are someone that uh, loves football and is already listening to Hannah Paul and wants to subscribe to Fanatis, and they don't live in the United States, they can move there and we will we'll have the opportunity to... to uh, it's an option, yeah. I mean, okay. we won't be sponsoring any green cards or flight tickets, but, no, no you know, if you really want um, to see it. Might be easier just to move to Argentina, to be honest, at least for the visa requirements. Yes, it definitely would be. Um, but don't do that. Instead, click on that link and yes. sign up to Fanatis uh, with that link and we'll get some money as a result of it. So thank you very much to them. Moving on. The results from the first round of the Copa Superliga. It's all now happened. We know who the last 16 are going to be, so I'm going to give you the scores and I'm going to remind you, therefore, 
that as a result of those scores, who went through, and then we'll mention after all of them who's playing who in the next round, which begins tomorrow, which by the time this, this goes online will be, will be later today. today. Um, the results from the second legs were Banfield nil, Estudiantes 2, which means that Estudiantes go through 2-1 on aggregate. Huracan nil, San Lorenzo nil. I was going to say who could have predicted that that would be deathly dull, but we did predict it was going to be deathly dull. Before from what I heard, it was a little bit more exciting than the first leg, at least. Which uh, is there was a very long at least a, yeah at least a missed penalty and then an yes. other missed penalties and then some, some others in the shootout which San Lorenzo won four three to go through after a nil nil aggregate draw of course and that was um, the end of uh, Antonio Mohamed oh was it yes he resigned after that match there we go I which was that. not much of a surprise I'm guessing since their season They've is pretty crap since he took over or did, he re- or did he resign after the Libertadores game actually. Not sure. No. This midweek, I think he might. Sorry to interrupt you. All these questions and more will be answered during this episode of Hand the yes. Ball. Once yeah. I can Google them. Sorry to interrupt your results uh, sharing, but uh, I think that it is said that Holland will, will too uh, leave Independiente. And this, this will be really strange because I think there are no more. Uh, Holland is quite a, a pretty supporter, I would say, of Independiente. And Mohamed is a, a, a big fan of Huracan. Mm. Mm. Both. Are well in the case of Mohamed was the coach of Huracan and in Holland could be could be the former coach. That is really strange because uh, they will be, they will like more than any other people for their clubs to 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 have yeah uh, to, good to, to both lose those jobs so close together yeah. in mm-hmm. time is yeah quite a coincidence. Um, Aldo Civi one Rosario Central two means that Aldo Civi qualify. They won 3-2 on aggregate because the first leg back in Rosario was a 2-0 win for them. Uh, Lanús beat Belgrano 2-0. Um, the first leg of that one had finished 3-2 to Belgrano, so Lanús came from behind to win 4-3 on aggregate. Uh, Tacheres and San Martín de San Juan, we said last week, I think I remember saying anyway, that I thought Tacheres ought to be able to overturn the 2-0 first leg deficit. And they did. Well, they, they levelled it. They didn't quite manage to overturn it fully. They won 2-0. Um, and they then won the shootout 3-2 to go through. Godoy Cruz and Patronato drew 1-1, exactly as they had done in Paraná a week before. And Godoy Cruz won the shootout 5-4. Tigre beat Colón 3-2. The first leg of that one, of course, was 0-0. Uh, they came from 2-0 down to do it. Mm. Lucas Hanson with a late penalty in the first half and then Carlos Luna with a late penalty in the second half which proved to be the winner Newell's Old Boys lost 3-1 at home to Gimnasia La Plata and therefore in spite of Maxi Rodriguez having become the first goal scorer in Copa Superliga history in the first leg which Newell's won 1-0 they go out Gimnasia win 3-2 on aggregate Union beat San Martín de Tucumán 3-0 to go through. The first leg of that one had finished 1-1. And Independiente, as you probably guessed after what Andres just said, uh, did not qualify. They drew 1-1 with Argentinos Juniors to go out 4-3 on aggregate um, in a very entertaining game. Actually, the first, le- the first half wasn't as good, anywhere near as good as the first leg of that game was, uh, that tie was. Uh, but then the second half got a bit madder as it went on, really. It was... It was yeah, Most just when it, I had watching football at the weekend anyway. Yeah, just when it looked, it was quite enjoyable. Yeah, I will admit. Uh, just when it looked like Independiente had it in the bag, they'd um, 
taken the lead in Alshaneda and obviously they had the advantage there on, on away goals and really kind of shut up shot, right? They didn't try to do that much after. And, and yeah, they let it slip, which isn't the first time for, for Independiente this season. They've been kind of, kind of very sloppy with this um, kind of protecting leads. I mean, going back even uh, all the way to the Libertadores quarterfinal against, against River. Hmm. Very similar kind of situation. It seemed like well, they have talent, obviously, a lot of very interesting players, but it's, yeah, it's just not been happening for them. Uh, and I think um, possibly a lack of firepower after selling Chiliotti, um, Manuel Chiliotti, and also the other guy who went to Vélez, uh, Leandro Fernández. Yeah, who I think went on loan. Um, but just basically because he couldn't stand being not making very many noises or land anymore time, yeah. it, it would seem yeah, yeah and they've never really been replaced and as good a team as you have you know playing six months and and kind of and multiple competitions without a centre forward is never likely to, to pay off in the long run no indeed it was Pablo Perez who scored the opener for Independiente um, which I still don't think actually fully crossed the line. Uh, it was the, there was an offside in the build-up, which is very, very marginal offside. Um, the ball then got sent across, and Silvio Romero sort of went up for a header, missed it, fell over the goal line, and Perez, um, Perez, Perez's shot ended up hitting Romero's feet. And from the main angle TV camera, there was a bit of green in between the ball and the line, but of course there's a thing called perspective and we never got a shot of it from actually level with the goal line um, and I'm it, it, it might have been just a cross but it might have not quite been a cross it, it was uh, I've got a technical question for you in that case Sam mm-hmm. um, if Giliotti no Giliotti if uh, Pablo Perez shoots and it hits uh, Romero on the line as you say yeah um, it hits him Allegedly, with his body on the part of his body over the line, Mm-mm. but I would assume I can't remember the goal offhand, like the specific details. I'd assume that his entire body wasn't over the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd fallen into the goal. Yes, but so he was lying off behind the goal line. Ah, so that wouldn't be a call for offside either. If his whole, I mean, if even one part of his body was over the line, would that not be offside? No, good point. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I guess. On a technicality, I suppose it might be. But yeah, I know of, if you've got if you're fully off the if, pitch, if, if, it's if, not offside. If the ball had crossed the line, yeah. you know, if, if it was a legitimate goal, and it might well have been. I'm, what I'm saying is, I, I didn't actually. A lot of people going, "Oh, that was clearly over the line." Yeah. And I was looking at it, thinking, "What? Uh, no." It's <laughs> an interesting grey area. I'd like to hear it from kind of. Uh, you can't say it was yeah. clearly. I'd like um, to hear it from someone who actually knows properly the rules. If the ball had gone across the line, yeah. then it, it's immaterial because the ball's out of play by that point because it's a goal. Uh, it only becomes an issue if if they had played on and you know, I suppose yeah technically Romero would have touched it in an offside position but would there not be uh, an argument that if he was somewhat on the pitch he would be interfering with play just because he was in the goal when the ball was going towards goal yeah it's, it's an a, interesting one it right. is yeah. uh, if you are a referee then please write in and let us know what you think yes um, or indeed forget about what you think let us know what the rules well, are I'm sure you can get the idea from that brilliant description of events indeed. Yeah. Uh, really don't need a video Argentinos Juniors uh, equaliser uh, with about 15 minutes to go was definitely a goal it was from Damian Batashini and it was a, one of those I always like it when the ball doesn't hit the ground in between leaving the corner 
and nestling in the back of the net. Yes. Uh, Machini snuck across uh, his marker and, and delivered a first-time volley at the near post. It was a very nice finish indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, that was one of the more entertaining games. I was a bit sorry that I missed Tigre versus Colón as well. I mean, I mean me too. I wasn't tremendously sorry because it was a really nice afternoon on Sunday and I was out having a walk around with my girlfriend enjoying the, ah. the last few decent days uh, weather that we're going to get um, for the next few months. Um, but uh, yeah, 2-0 to Colón. From what I gathered, somewhat against the run of play and certainly somewhat against the run of form, the way those two teams went into the uh, you know, end of the league season. Um, and then Tigre storming back to, to get through. Yeah, as we said, it shouldn't really come as much surprise that they've come back in that way. If you look at their their form over the last few months, you know, obviously relegation aside, they've uh, they've been on a fantastic run. They scored goals from from all over the pitch, and and yeah, it'd be kind of poetic justice, right, if they at least managed to salvage a sort of Americana spot from this tournament after being robbed of it thanks to their relegation. Yeah, I'd like to see you know. Tigre runners up to Racing in the final. That would be that'd be a nice conclusion for me. Indeed. Um, the last 16, I was about to say the quarterfinals, and then I remembered it, it's not the quarterfinals. The last 16 uh, kicks off on Friday. There are, of course, eight games because that's how knockout football works when it's mm. the last 16. Um, and they are these ones are they are definitely a week apart I, I saw one of my live score apps was saying the second legs were going to be played midweek next week which wouldn't have made any sense at all um, so if your live score app is saying that ignore it because the, these games are being played Friday to Monday this weekend and then Friday to Monday in a week's time as well um, Tacheres versus Atletico Tucumán is the first of them uh, the ties that I'm, as I'm reading the fixtures out now are all the first leg so that is Tacheres at home to Atletico Tucumán in the first leg Lanús versus Vélez uh, Estudiantes versus Racing Argentinos versus San Lorenzo which might be fairly decent or might be absolutely awful depending on whether Argentinos turn up or not so two bottom clubs in the league right? Or um, no San Lorenzo two. weren't bottom but they, they would have been if the six-point deduction had been actually applied. Well, Argentinos now. weren't far off either, um, I don't think. Argentinos, I think, were, Argentinos were the bottom team yes. and San Lorenzo were 23rd. Ah, they were. So they were not very far off being the two bottom. <laughs> um, Aldo City against River, Godoy Cruz against Boca, Tigre versus Union and Gimnasia versus Defensa y Justicia. I saw you waving at me a second ago, Andres. No, no I, I wasn't really sure that if you had already said it, that Aldo City qualified after defeating Rosario Central and Union after defeating... I did, yes. Ah, yes. I mentioned mm-hmm. Arnold City Central, definitely. Union against San Martín, yes, I mentioned Yeah, you went through, through, through the whole list. Um, when I was recording, actually, it was a good question, because when I was recording Hand Upon Extra on Sunday night, the one I do on my own, um, the last couple of fixtures hadn't been plugged into to this. So when I went down there, the last 16, I only listed six matches without actually noticing. And then I, I realised afterwards and apologised to people. Um... But that is the full fixture list. Uh, the t- sort of the, the other talking points from the weekend, I can't remember any now. It's ages ago. We're recording <laughs> well, on Thursday night. I think an interesting point is that there will be several teams that, as they were, uh, of course, eliminated from Copa Superliga and also Copa Argentina, mm-hmm. they won't have any matches until Ju- July. Until the 26th of July. And we'll talk more about the uh, structure of next season in the second half of the podcast mm-hmm. uh, but yeah they're not going to have anything to do now which no, it's, 
Neurons and Manfield, for example, are, are three teams. months. Yeah, yes. Three months tomorrow, isn't it? Sorry, carry on, Andres. No, Neurons and Manfield are, are for sure two of the teams. Are, they are not uh, participating in any other tournaments as Copa Argentina. And of course, well, Copa de Superliga has finished for them. So, yes, until the, after the Copa America, they won't have any, any activity. There's a famous story about Racing. Um, a little anecdote, if you'll indulge me, about when, this, when something very similar happened. I don't know if you are aware of it. When Racing uh, loaned their entire team to... In, yeah, in 1980... Yeah, in 1985, when Racing had, um, had just got promoted from the, from the B Nacional, or was it the B in that time? One of the two, anyway. I think it was the B, then just the B, and then the following season was the restructuring, which caused, you know, the end of the Nacional and just the Primera División, yes, sure. B Nacional. And this let, since Racing went up in that moment, they had six months to go until the last Nacional season finished and then the new structure would come in. And obviously being Racing in the 80s, they didn't have a pot to piss in. And the club's uh, boiler had broken. So the players had to take cold showers. Mm-hmm. What could they do? Obviously, the, the, uh, the most sensible thing they could do at the time was to rent out the entire team to a club in Mendoza, who I can't remember, possibly Gimnasia de Mendoza, who were playing their own kind of playoff to, for promotion as well. Um, and then obviously, since this is racing, playing against regional Mendoza. I, I, I'm going to reiterate because I actually got the team name right a minute ago. It's Argentino de Mendoza. Argentino de Mendoza. So I've just Googled it to check and I've, I was correct. Excellent. Um, carry on, Mona. Yes. And in classic racing style, uh, they failed to get promoted. But they did get money to, to pay for the new boiler, which, which was good. And there's kind of testimony from that time where, um, where teams, you know, obviously being proud Mendocinos, uh, proud regional guys they didn't take particularly kindly to these professionals from Buenos Aires these ringers coming in to, uh, to jump on their league so the players had stones thrown at them they got spat at in the middle of the um, in the middle of games and all sorts of, of nasty stuff so I don't think their concentration was was 100% but in the end Argentina de Mendoza didn't get the promotion and but Racing got a new boy. So. And, and just to uh, clarify, we're not talking promotion from the same division. Uh, Argentina were trying to get promotion from the uh, what was then called the Regional. Yes, uh, to the B Nacional, it would have been. Uh, as, yes. as the La Nacional article that I'm looking at right now from about 2011 puts it, is something which is roughly what today is, is called the Argentino A, so the yeah. regionalised third division. Uh, so they dropped down the division and failed to win promotion from that, which is downstairs is. <laughs> Very racing. Yes. Um, Argentino Racing. There's <laughs> a newspaper Argentino title. Argentino Racing, racing yes. lost to San Martín. Uh, <laughs> and it, so maybe it, this could be an option. I, I can't see anyone wanting Huracan's players particularly, but it would any other team want to rent out a losing Copa Superliga team? Well, I was going to say, I'm sure that I remember a story about this, uh, about Argentinos Juniors as well, doing something very similar. They moved to Mendoza and they didn't yes. uh, rent their squad out, but they actually... Right played their home games in Mendoza ah, uh, yes. in 1993-94. Um, Only one season was, was yeah. that, right? What yeah. was that in aid of? <coughs> uh, I think it was, it was before the current stadium was put up when 
again, I think the club was broke. Right. And they, they'd been moving around and playing in a few places in Buenos Aires for uh, six months or so, and they decided that they got some kind of offer, clearly, from Mendoza. I can't remember the exact story, but I remembered vaguely that I'd heard about it happening. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, there, there is a story, I think, that every, you, we will talk about it later, because uh, even there is a question about it, about moving, or, or, or teams, or presidents of teams inviting other teams to move. Uh, together but it's another story I think hmm. here we go I found an, an Una Baldosa very short uh, blog post here it, it, uh, which if you speak Spanish and Una Baldosa is a, a very interesting and, and often amusing uh, blog to have a look at um, Argentinos Juniors uh, were uh, okay it was Teise who talked them into it apparently for 1993-94 uh, they took over the club Teise mm -hmm. and decided to Switch. Argentinos have been playing at Ferros Stadium, and they moved to the Islas Malvinas, which is the municipal stadium where Godoy Cruz uh, play all of their home matches now uh, in Mendoza. Um, and it remained crap and moved back. Mm -hmm. it, didn't, it wasn't a, a move that worked particularly well for them. I think Teise wanted it to be a publicity drive, essentially, and it didn't work. Yeah. Good, really, <laughs> because that would have been United. We're not fans of uh, such long-distance moves here on Hand of Pod, for football clubs at least. Obviously, you and I have made fairly long-distance moves now. Indeed. it's not the same thing. I mean, moving from Buenos Aires to Mendoza, that would make swapping South London for, for Milton Keynes look like a cake war, right? Indeed. And it'd be really depressing as well, can you imagine? I mean, Mendoza's lovely. To Mendoza's miss. lovely, yeah. I wouldn't want to live there. Uh, I sometimes yeah. feel fairly cut off down here. Yeah. Anyway... Back to the football. Um, any other notable performances from? I mean, Tacheres, I guess, had have the sort of the shock value in, in that they did manage to make that comeback from two 0 down in the first leg against San Martín de San Juan. As I hinted, it wasn't that surprising. Um, but what was a little bit more surprising was that the goals came so close together. Uh, Dairo Moreno scored with about twenty. I apologise for the dog in the background. We can't do anything about him. It's not Dan's. No. Dairo Moreno scored with about 20 seconds to go in the first half, and Tomas Pochettino scored about 100 and uh, no, not even 100 seconds, less than that, about 80 seconds into the second half. Mm. So, in terms of actual time elapsed, those goals were about 17 or 18 minutes apart, but in terms of playing time, they were about a minute and a half apart. And those were the two that um, eventually obviously took that tie to penalties. So, well done, Tacheres. Any others? No, I think we'll have more more to talk about right next week when the, when the grandes yeah, come in. It, it has been. So we, we kind of complained a little bit last week and I, I made the point that it, the first weekend of Copa Superliga action with the first legs um, was largely what you would have expected from the fact that the six best teams in the league weren't mm. taking part. Um, it was rather dull, even though it was clear that I think more or less everybody was taking it seriously. Um the second legs, are, by and large, from what I've seen, they, they were somewhat higher quality. Yeah. Um, I think that after, after the first leg, that uh, perhaps we could say surprising, uh, because several uh, teams that were already um, relegated uh, got uh, good results against the the ones who stayed in first division. Yeah. After the first leg, now we all came to normality. Carlos Tevez will say, and uh, results were, I think, 
the ones we will pre preview. And uh, I think it's a rather disappointing start for Diego Coca at, at Rosario Central, as they are eliminated also from Copa Libertadores. They lost um, last night, right? Yes. Oh, they did, yes, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. No, they drew 1-1 one, one against Católica. Ah, that's right. But, uh, but they were already, the I think. They were eliminated, yeah. Uh, uh, Central are, are in a funk, though. It's, uh, you can't expect uh, a new coach right to, to take over after, uh, you know, right at the end of the season, in the middle of two competitions, and, and just turn things around. But... No, uh, the Libertadores results... Were Tuesday night, I'm only going to go through the Argentine ones. Huracan lost 2 1 at home to Emelec, um, and Godoy Cruz beat Sporting Cristal 2 0 in Mendoza. On Wednesday, River Plate got a 2 0 win away to Palestino, which means that with a game to go, I'll tell you what this all means actually after I've gone through the scores. Uh, Rosario Central and Universidad Católica drew 1 1 in Rosario, and uh, Boca fell 2 0 down and then came back to draw 2-2. All of the mm -hmm. goals in that one were before half-time, um, which made for a slightly disappointing second half, actually. I was like, oh, this is going to be brilliant. It's going to finish 4-4. And of course, Yes, I thought the same. Although Tolima could have won it several times in stoppage time at the very end of the game. Um, and then tonight, uh, Junior are hosting San Lorenzo in just under an hour. So we probably won't um, hear that, but obviously keep listening and I'll give you the score at full-time. What this means for the positions in Group A, um, that win against Palestino for River meant that they have now qualified. Uh, they're guaranteed second place. They're not going to finish first because Internacional are four points ahead of them. Uh, but after a slightly wobbly start to the group, River are through. Um, in Group B, Huracan's defeat to Emelec means that they are out mm -hmm. and indeed are not going to get into the Copa Sudamericana because they've got one point and Deportivo Lara of Venezuela have five, um, who are third. It's between Lara and Emelec uh, for second place in that one. So Lara actually could get through, which given the state of, obviously, some of the fixtures involving Venezuelan clubs mm. for very obvious reasons in the first couple of weeks of the group stage, um, having to be rearranged, having to swap the pattern of home and away so that they could play at one point. I can't remember which one that was. That wasn't Lara, that was the other one. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that would be fantastic if one of the Venezuelan sides could get through. It also kind of puts into perspective just how bad Huracan are, right? Yeah, like, they're, they're awful. They're losing to teams seen. from a country which basically doesn't have power. It's yeah. it's not a good look. Yeah, yeah, they, they've let in uh, nine goals in five matches in that group <laughs> stage, which is outdone by. I'm just looking through very quickly. Alianza Lima in Rivers Group have mm -hmm. conceded ten. Sporting Cristal in Group C have conceded eleven. It wasn't by any means oh, a it's not that yeah. bad a, a, a record. I'm just cutting down. San Jose Oruro in Group D, mm. which doesn't involve an Argentine side, managed to concede 15 goals in five games. Anyway, Group C, uh, Olympia of uh, Paraguay. The Paraguayan clubs are having a really strong Copa Libertadores so far. I think they this midweek, I think they lost, one of them lost, for the, and it was the first Paraguayan defeat in the Libertadores this year. Um, two losses this week. Libertad and Cerro Porteño, the two, lost their unbeaten records, but Olimpia still have this. Yeah, um, and in that case, those those two were the first two Paraguayan defeats of the weekend, and that's in the of the of the, of the competition, and that's in the fifth round of fixtures. Um, Olimpia have nine points in Group C. Godoy Cruz and Universidad Concepcion, um, Universidad de Concepcion, sorry, of Chile, both have six points, and Sporting Cristal have four. So Group C is still very much up for grabs. Anybody still could win it or finish out of the positions. 
Uh, well, Sporting Cristal can't win it, obviously, but they, they can qualify. Um, the other Argentine groups are San Lorenzo, rather improbably, top group F, and have already... Well, they're already. quite... They're not guaranteed qualification, but it would take two defeats and an eight-goal swing um, in order for them to go out. Is it goal difference or results in uh, Libertadores? Goal difference, I think. Is it? Yeah. Um, San Lorenzo have ten points. Palmeiras have nine. Melgar have four. So San Lorenzo six clear of Melgar um, and have a goal difference of plus four to Melgar's minus four. Junior have no points at all. So that... It puts into perspective, before I give you the full-time result of Junior versus San Lorenzo at the end of the podcast, um, how bad San Lorenzo would have done if they lose to Junior. But that probably isn't going to happen. Come back later for Junior's 5-0 win. Indeed. Um, in Group H, I'm going to skip Group G for a second because Group H is really easy because Andres has already told you that Central are out. Libertad have 12 points. I told you the Paraguayans were doing well, didn't I? Gremio mm-hmm. and Universidad Católica have seven each and Rosario Central have two points that's with one game to go uh, San Lorenzo's group I think I'm right yes of course it is right because San Lorenzo's group both of the matches are being played later this evening um, and as a result San Lorenzo's group is the only one of these groups that at the time of recording still has two games to go group G uh, is Atletico Paranaense with nine points Boca Juniors with eight and Tolima and Jorge Wilstermann with five each which means Atletico Paran Atletico, sorry, Paranaense are definitely through. But of the other three, any one of them could, mathematically speaking, still win the group. Um, albeit in a couple of in Tolima and Wilstermann's case it would take an enormous goal difference swing um, to top Atletico Paranaense. Um, and Boca could still either win the group or end up out of it if they were to lose and both Tolima and Wilstermann were to win their last two matches. Having said that, I'm not sure whether Tolima and Will still are playing one another, so let's just make sure. I think they might do. Because if they are, then of course that means Boca are already through. Um, Tolima and Winsterman are indeed playing each other, which means that Boca have qualified uh, for the second round. Oh no, it doesn't, does it? Because if Boca lose to Atletico Paranaense and one of Winsterman or Tolima win, it could end up in the Sudamericana still. Um, But it means that, yeah, anyway, it, it means that I wasn't being entirely... Uh, honest with you just now. I apologise for that. But they, they, they must lose for a big amount of goals? or uh, The current standings for Group G are that Boca are three points clear of both of those sides. They have a goal difference of plus four. Tolima's goal difference is minus three. And Wilstermann's goal difference is minus seven. Yes. So... The most real and Wilstermann are at home against Tolima. I just said it was Wilstermann v Tolima, didn't I? Um, mm. So the most realistic possibility, I mean, with the altitude, it isn't really realistic at all to expect Tolima to thrash Wilstermann, is it? But no. if I guess the the biggest possibility for Tolima, the, the best hope is that Atletico Paranaense go nuts against Boca and score four or five goals, and if that happens, and Tolima can win by three goals against Wilstermann then Tolima would pip Boca into second place. No, and that sort of makes more but, sense why Boca didn't go all out uh, for the for win, win once yeah. to all, right? No, they, they, just, they just had to hope enough. that Tolima didn't win, which was why it yes. got so edgy in the first half when Tolima went 2-0 up. Um, because that would have... That would have you know, been very, At the moment, very Boca difficult. three clear of Tolima, yes. but if Tolima had won that match, then Tolima would have been three clear of Boca right now. Indeed. A three-point swing. Three points clear or two points clear? Because they drew... Hmm. Yeah, three points. Boca lose one, Tolima get one more. Yes, that's right, isn't it? Well done. Two more. Two more. 
That's what. No, so in fact, Tolima would have been level. They, they would have been level on points, wouldn't they? Yes. Take a point off Bocca's total at two to Tolima. Correct. And they're level on points, so that would have been squeaky bum time. Yes. Um, as it is, it's not squeaky anything time. No. We're going to go away now. And Should we talk about the B Nacional very quickly oh, before the break? Oh yeah. Yes. What would you like to discuss about the B? It was a cracking last uh, last day of the mini that. season. Yeah. Uh, but we still don't know who is going to go up to the to the uh, Superliga. We do not. Uh, you might remember if you're one of our Hand of Pod patron, Patreon supporters, Patreon, Patreon patrons, um, that we gave you a little preview of the final weekend of Bay Nacional action last week. Mm-hmm. We told you that Sarmiento, Arsenal and Nueva Chicago were the three teams still in it. Nueva Chicago lost 2-1 to, was it Brandy Adrogué? Yes. Uh, Arsenal beat Defensores de Belgrano 1-0. With with an 85th minute or 86th yeah. minute goal, yeah. After missing an 82nd minute rather contentious penalty in true Arsenal style. And Sarmiento <laughs> got, I think in the end they won 3-1 against mm-hmm. Brandy Adrogué. Uh, no, against Guillermo Brown. Guillermo Brown. Because Brandy Adrogué. So many Browns around you. What that means is that Sarmiento and Arsenal finish level on points and mm-hmm. therefore are going to be playing, should have been playing, at the latest last night because the AFA's regulations state that if a tiebreaker is needed, then it must be played within 72 hours of the final matches of the season. Indeed. But, but what are regulations, regulations between friends? Yeah. Um, so they're playing instead in Banfield Stadium on Sunday at 3pm. Which was originally going to be... In La Plata. In, in Gymnasia, Gymnasia Stadium, Stadium before they realised that Gymnasia would also be playing at the weekend so in the Copa Superliga. Not a big, but it's a, a more or less an advantage for, for Arsenal as they are closer to Anfield. But Arsenal don't have any fans, like, so it doesn't make that much difference. <laughs> yes, no, indeed. Uh, but I suppose there's less traffic time. Yes, Mento is for Juninis. Another thing that I should point out uh, is that on last week's uh, Patreon exclusive preview, of these matches, I mentioned uh, that Sarmiento were a Greater Buenos Aires side because they were just sort of just outside the outskirts of uh, Greater Buenos did Aires. Did you say that? I, I did. So I said oh, that dear. the travel time wasn't that much. It, what happened there was I got Hunin mixed up with Luhan. Ah, uh, so I apologise. Hunin is actually, it, on, by Argentine standards, it's not that far. It's 270 kilometres. Uh, but it is quite a bit further than I was thinking it was yes. when I said that. So... Sorry if you're not familiar with Argentine geography, and if you are familiar with Argentine geography, that's the explanation. Um, so yeah, we've, we've got that to look forward to as well on Sunday. I completely miss you saying that, I must say. And since we are talking about uh, the other stuff, the uh, Primera Femenina saw another sort of semi-historic um, result at the weekend as well, because Boca got a 1-1 draw away to Wai Urquiza. Mm-hmm. You might remember us saying a week or two, or no, a month or two ago, uh, it's about a month ago, I think, that River, um, who managed to beat Wai Urquiza 1-0, were the first team to beat Wai Urquiza in Wai Urquiza Stadium in like a year and six months, or a year and five months, or something like that. Um, so Wai Urquiza don't drop many points at all at home, and the Minnows, River and Boca, um, have managed to take... Four points between them out of that. There we go. Well done then. Uh, the more immediate thing, of course, in terms of the title race in the women's uh, top flight is that that takes the initiative out of White Orquiza's hands because as we've told you a few times in the last few weeks, White Orquiza had loads of games in hand and if they won them all and because they're White Orquiza, that was always a realistic possibility, they would have leapfrogged River at the top of the table. 
that's now no longer the case. That late equaliser from Shamila Rodriguez um, meant that now it is Rivers Primera Femenina to lose. Uh, even if Wyokisa win all their games in hand, they'll still be, I think, one point behind River. Um, so there we go. And now we actually are going to take a half-time break, refill our glasses, and when we come back, we will discuss some of the stuff that we mentioned we were going to discuss earlier on. said we were going to discuss, which I remembered as soon as I switched the microphone off, is the structure of next season. Um, some of you, I, actually I assume that all of you who listen to this podcast regularly um, and uh, have Twitter probably already follow uh, myself and Dan on there at least, and possibly Andres as well, although obviously Andres tweets a bit more in Spanish than we do. Um, so some of you might already have seen me tweet yesterday an article which gives us the details as we know them and there are probably some other details but we haven't actually confirmed them you might remember that a couple of weeks ago I, I said I think I was talking about Conmebol at the time um, that communication isn't the strong point of a lot of the organisations uh, down here so what was reported yesterday uh, and as much as we know and I have checked the official Superliga website which exists now exists. it didn't when the Superliga first kicked off last season um, what we know is that the new Superliga season will start on the 27th of July, right after the Copa America. Mm. Um, and the other stuff that's reported is not mentioned on the official Superliga website, even the end date of the next Superliga season. So the thing that I retweeted um, and also translated in a quoted tweet um, said that it will start on the 26th of July and it will end on the 8th of December. Mm -hmm. And that next season's Copa Superliga will begin on the, also the 8th, right, of March. Yes. Which is a three-month gap between them. What a lot of other places were reporting, but again, not reported on the Superliga uh, website, and I don't think there's been any actual official public word from anybody at the AFA or the Superliga, is that the season will start on the 26th of July, run until the 8th of December, and there will then be a summer break, and it will reconvene on the 24th of January to play the last few games because although there are 25 weekends from the 26th of July to the 8th of December including the 26th of July and the 8th of December um, there are three FIFA dates and a couple of Argentine election weekends during which no football can be played during that period so it does make sense to have those extra five weekends afterwards um, in order to sort the whole of this epic 23 match league season that we're going to have out but still nothing's been confirmed. So at the moment, all it says on the Superliga website is we're going to be kicking off on the 27th, 26th of July. I'm trying to work out what's more ridiculous. Trying to shoehorn that many weekends. Uh, be 23 match days, right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, shoehorning 23 match days in there just to have a, a three-month break or not quite managing to get 23 in, taking a almost two-month break. And then coming back to play the last two games. Yeah, it's indeed. very difficult to know which, which is worse. Which is why those FIFA dates and um, 
an election weekend is going to help so much mm. because that means I guess that they'll be able to get uh, 20 and then maybe they'll take another weekend off just to justify coming back or something ah, there's going to be a FIFA date in February there's normally a FIFA date in February as yes. well isn't there so oh, that'll account for one of them but it is a mess but in the, short yeah. one of the main uh, purposes of uh, the new broadcasters was that there won't be any gaps because that would mean that there, there's no football and perhaps people will cancel their their subscriptions for at least yeah but I mean I think you have to have a gap over the summer you've got to have a summer yeah. break because I mean that's not three months that's very hot Al- although obviously that's the, this, the Argentine season officially runs on the same calendar as the European season at the moment August to May um, realistically it is, as Dan says it's, it's far too hot to play in for most of December and, and well I, I would say all of January and a fair bit of February but no, you can play up. Most of the December you can play and it's January and mm. the start of February, which is a problem, really. Um, so you have to have a break at some point, And I think that this, this, that's why, as well, it makes sense to go back. As they keep saying they're going to, and yet this appears to be the perfect time to do it, and they're not doing mm. Go back to a calendar year season like we had in 2015. You know what would have made more sense? Go on. To play the Copa Superliga first. Get right. those, what, 15 games out of the way? Uh, before Christmas and then just do a normal 23 game uh, tournament after with that kind of far-sighted thinking Dan you could go far not in the after but how would you make the 23 team tournament last the whole year so that we end up with a no not, in the, not the whole year just from February to, to June ah uh, ok right no, uh, it no. seems much more logical mm. so obviously it will never happen no, indeed. Yeah. The other thing is that obviously... I apologise for even mentioning We have, for the second year in a row, at the beginning of next year, we're going to have a relatively short, inverted commas, first half of the year because of the fact that there's another Copa America next year. So perhaps they need to get that out of the way. Although, mm. I'm not suggesting that your suggestion has actually been discussed at any high level in the Superliga. I very much doubt it has no. because it would make some sense. Um, but yeah, in short, the, the people organising this and doing the communication for it, clearly given that nobody seems to know exactly when it's going to be kicking off and everything seems to be speculation about when it's going to be ending. Well, sorry, we do know exactly when it's going to kick off, but that's the only thing that they've officially communicated with us. Um, it still leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, the other problem, of course, we're starting in July is it's slap bang in the middle of the transfer window for Europe. And mm. coupled with the fact that by most indications, it seems that a fair amount of Superliga players will be going to the Copa America, if we're to believe Mr. Minotti and... And his big plans. Mm. That's going to be a huge shot window. So you have the very real prospect of teams kind of closing their squads in time for this uh, league start at the on the twenty seventh of July. Only to find clubs from Europe ravaging their their teams and taking their best players, which also doesn't seem ideal to me. No, indeed. Uh, the final is going to be on the 7th of July, yeah. so there are going to be a, uh, of the Copa America. Yeah. Uh, so there are going to be a couple of weeks uh, before the season, three weeks in fact, before the season kicks off. Mm-hmm. Um, the 26th of July is a Friday, so that's the Friday on which the first matches will be played. Yes. Um, so it's, it's going to be a little bit, I guess, they'll have time to sell some of the players and try to get replacements in, but you're mm. quite right, they're still going to be changing the squads up until nearly the two end months of August, into the yeah. season or something, aren't they? Um, let's move on to listeners' questions now. Uh, what have we had? Matt 
says, not sure when you're going to record the pod. He actually sent this just before I sent the tweet uh, asking for questions. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But I wanted to get this question out there. Apologies if you've already addressed it in a previous episode. We haven't. The question is, how closely is the Argentine media following the progress of Almeida and Guillermo Barros Esqueloto in MLS? Much less than yes. they follow the progress of Maradona in the Liga Ascenso de Mexico. Indeed, yeah. Which is to say, not at all. And I haven't heard anything, to be honest, about And Loco Bielsa, of course. A little bit on Piti Martinez, there's, there's been, I would say there's been more on Bielsa. Much more on yes. Bielsa. Oh, sorry, that was your point. Sorry, they're yeah, following yeah. Bielsa and Maradona that much. Yeah. And they're following, yes. A tiny bit on Piti Martinez, but not, not even really. No, and even that's been, uh, in the last few days at least, that seems to have been mostly linked with uh, River hoping to sign him again. Right. Which seems ambitious so soon after he's left. I, got, I, I could watch, because he's been broadcast the, the MLS, and there was a match in which uh, Almeida's San Jose Quakes played against the uh, New York Red Bulls. They lost 4-1, but... Christian Espinosa, the former Boca striker, made his debut and scored the only goal for him. San Jose Edwards. But apart from that, it's not very much what we... Yeah, there are a few MLS games showed, but they tend to be on pretty late, right? Because of the yeah, time difference. Yeah. Two Point. to six hours, I think. Yeah, for those who aren't uh, familiar, we are uh, currently we're one hour ahead of the Eastern Seaboard. Is it one? Uh, yeah, because they're on daylight savings time at the moment. Um, but during right. most of the um, season, we are two hours ahead of them, um, and therefore, yeah, six or seven hours ahead of the Western Pacific uh, Coast, yeah. West Coast, and so on. Um, so, yeah, in short, people don't really think very much because they're not. Perhaps. The vast majority of people don't pay any attention to it as well. We, we can watch it if you want. If they do well, they'll get a bit of press. I mean, Martino got a fair yeah, amount of exposure, that's but right. because his Atlanta team was new, it was full of Argentines, and it was doing well. The, yeah, the question is, start winning games and, and you'll get in the Argentine press. Yeah. Talking about the teams, it uh, will have more sense, I, I think, uh, to receive news from, from Guillermo Rascaloto since he, he's the coach of Los Angeles Galaxy, uh, I think better team than, than San Jose with, with Braimovich and well, uh, we, we receive the, perhaps or we catch the, the goals and highlights and not the entire matches, some um, um, uh, after and uh, that means that we don't have a lot of news like we have, like uh, Dan said, uh, of Maradona and Bielsa. That mm. we know that he is now at the outside, out of the uh, promotion zone, right? Uh, yes. It's, I, yes. I didn't even know that. They, yeah, Basically, they, when Maradona comes on the TV, I tend to just zone out. No, he's talking about Bielsa. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I knew that. Leads. Mostly because it involves Leeds suffering, uh, which I'm <laughs> always more than happy to hear about. Uh, Wayward from Hayward says, What is this nonsense I'm reading about a joint stadium for Boca and River? It's, um, it's something that's been doing the rounds for, not, for quite a few years, not just uh, because of Danofri. I was going to say, I, couldn't, I can't remember whether it was Macri, Macri when he was president of Boca or whether it was Pedro Pompilio who first mentioned this. I think it was Macri's idea. I don't know if it was he who first mentioned it, but Macri definitely did uh, mention it. Yeah. Um, obviously, the listenership of Hand of Pod uh, has, uh, I'm sure, a wide range of, of political opinions and indeed a wide range of... Um, familiarity 
with the politics of Argentina. Some of you will not be interested in anything more than the football, and some of you will be, I'm guessing, expat Argentines who have quite strong feelings about this stuff. So I'm not going to cast any political aspersions either way here, but what I will say is I think that most of us or all of us would be able to agree that Mauricio Macri isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer um, in terms of intelligence. And when he was president of Boca, he came out with this idea. And as Dan says, I don't know whether he was the first person to do it, but he suggested um, a, a shared stadium for Boca mm-hmm. and River. Uh, at the time, I remember reading it when I was... Obviously, you know, when Magda was president of Boca, I wasn't very familiar with Argentine football. I was just about familiar enough to know that it wasn't going to happen. Um, and I remember thinking, the, the reason that I can think of for that would be Essentially, he's recognising that River Stadium's a lot bigger than Boca's and that they could, maybe if they shared, Boca would be more likely the beneficiaries in terms of the number of tickets that they could sell, for example. Possibly back then, but I, uh, I remember I read this, um, these statements by Macri earlier when I was looking into this and it was, the reason he, he gave was that Boca need a bigger stadium because they're overflowing with fans. Which is true to this day. And just so he wouldn't give River too much credit, yeah. it was that uh, River could do with a new stadium because they have an, an athletic track and that's not brilliant for spectators. Which is also something we've mentioned many times on yes. the pod. But yes. there would be no admitting that River needed uh, a bigger stadium themselves no, just because their stadium is horrible, in Macri's words. And Donofrio is going along the same lines. I mean, the, the since we started talking about Macri, we should say that... Um, I think it's fair to say that both Boca and River could benefit from new, bigger stadiums, but uh, thanks or... Perhaps not so thanks not, um, to Macri's economic management. Neither of those teams are in any sort of position to, to build a new stadium now, right? Because the economic situation here is no, exactly. catastrophic. And I mean, I'm guessing that part of this is the fact that D'Onofrio came in when he first won the River presidency with an idea to remodel the Monumental. Very mm-hmm. ambitious proposals involving putting a roof on it, involving taking this, basically removing the, the running track and bringing the stands in much closer to the pitch, which I think he said would have added about 15,000 capacity to the Mm -hmm. stadium or 10,000 or something like that. It's never happened. As Dan just said, River don't have the money. Even after a few very successful financial years under Donofrio now, they still don't really have the money to do that, particularly with an ever-devaluing peso. Um, And Donofrio said on... It was on some Chilean radio show or TV show or something yesterday because, of course, River were in Santiago... Um, and, for and then he appeared in all Thank sorts you. of radio stations stuff yeah. given this idea. And, and he supposedly said this and then a few hours later they said well would you like to clarify this and he was like well yeah so what he said was the first time around as I read the headlines basically was I was talking to Macri uh, and who's now for some background the president of Argentina not the president of Boca anymore I was talking to Macri and um, the subject of a uh, joint stadium for River and Boca came up and we discussed it. Mm-hmm. And then a few hours later, he was sort of forced to come out publicly and say, it, it was his idea. <laughs> because of course it was. Because, you know, Rodolfo Donofrio doesn't say stupid things that annoy River's fan base constantly, does he, Andres? The, the problem, well, he, he is better director than uh, what he declared. He's, what he, he talks and when he talks, I think he's not as, as brilliant as, as with the things he has done mm. at River. Um, but I think he has a problem that is that both alternatives, which is which are to remodel the monumental or uh, to build a new stadium, both are very very difficult to, to, to make. 
And to remodel it, which we will think, we don't know, but we will think that it's a bit cheaper than build a new, a whole new stadium. Is the big difficult there is that they will have to move a lot of uh, people that uh, do sports there, and to move also the matches that River plays because they will have to play another place, another stadium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, I think he wants to to build a new one, but he knows that supporters doesn't want that, and uh, he tries to avoid to admit he wants a, a new one, a new a new stadium. And, and Macri wants, of course, he's interested in business, and, and, and if he wants... Because Donofrio's not interested in business. But more, <laughs> even, even more than Donofrio, and, and uh, we can uh, uh, talk about a lot of things that he has done, even when he was the president of Boca, like uh, bringing, uh, 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 signing Takahara, uh, only for Japanese supporters to watch him play at Boca, mm -hmm. things like that, and, and he... Uh, thinks more in business than any other presidents, even when Donofrio, of course, is interested in business. So uh, it's a point that will be very, very difficult at River because he, even Donofrio, argued with a supporter, so a supporter uh, saying that we don't want to move, and Donofrio didn't say that he wanted to move. Sure, yeah. Um, I've, I've just while Andres was talking, I, I thought of a parallel, which is probably going to mean nothing at all to Andres or possibly to. Uh, the majority of our listeners, given that the majority of our listeners aren't in the UK. But in a way, Macri is like Alan Sugar to Rodolfo Donofrio's Martin Edwards. Mm, yes. If, if Tottenham were on a comparable scale to Manchester United in the 90s, which they weren't, no offence Tottenham fans. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, he, he's the one who came up with all of these ideas, first of all, and then United sort of took them around with them later on. The reaction of the current book of Genius Prison was interesting as well, Daniel, Daniel Angelisi. Mm. Um, he tweeted about it. It was kind of a combined tweet with the entire Boca board, um, obviously to get a little bit of easy point scoring. But he did not say, um, he said, you know, obviously yeah, so this is a terrible it idea. Careful, yeah. um, he didn't say Boca won't leave the Bombonera. He said Boca won't leave La Boca. This is a big point because there are currently two camps inside the kind of Boca universe. One side which wants to remodel the La Bombonera, which as well as financially is uh, structurally very difficult because anyone who's been to the Bombonera will know uh, half of the stadium is built right up on a, on a block of housing, which is why it has that such, those um, very distinctive boxes and Expansion is very difficult because I think the last I heard, the residents still don't want to leave, right? No matter how much money they, no. they get thrown at them. I, I, I believe that there are a, a fair few who think, you know, they're making us a fantastic offer here. Why don't we piss off? But yeah. there are one or two who are holding out and those are the ones who are causing the problems. In, Indeed. Which is, I, I think, a lot like the problem, for instance, that Liverpool have for years and years and years about expanding Anfield. And, yeah. and indeed have at the moment. And why they're looking into buying and building a new stadium yeah. there. So I think most Boca fans favour um, expanding the La Bombonera. Obviously, it's a stadium which has uh, lots and lots of history. It's so connected with their with our identity, with with the club. I think possibly more than with any club. I think certainly more than River with the Monumental, right? Mm. Um, it's kind of a very well, visceral visceral sense of belonging they have to La Bombonera. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I, yeah. I think that um, on the one hand, I, I, I wouldn't underestimate River fans' affection for the Monumental and obviously the anger 
that Andres mentioned in Rivers fan base about every time Don Offrey mentions, oh, let's build a new stadium. Uh, but is that not much? That. Yeah. But obviously, what River don't have, and, and I think he's also telling that, that the area around Rivers Stadium is known in many, uh, to many locals mm-hmm. as Barry or River, because the Monumental was the first mm-hmm. building that went up there. You know, yeah. now you walk there and you're walking along grassy uh, tree-lined avenues and with loads of houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. None of those were there when the Monumental first yeah. went up. Look for some aerial photos. It's really quite something. Yeah. Um, so there is a connection, but it's obviously not as deep as Boca, who have spent like six months outside La Boca in their history. Exactly, yeah. um, Whereas River were, as a lot of you will, will be aware, River were founded in La Boca and moved yeah. out and, and never ended up going back. And so they perhaps don't have... It's not that they don't have a deep connection, but they do. They don't have quite as deep a connection. No, precisely, and not just to the neighbour. But I'm saying to the stadium itself, like mm. that La Bombonera is, you know, part of Boca. Boca is part of the Bombonera. Like the folklore around it is, is inseparable. I think. Which is kind of ironic, given that the the Bombonera and the Monumental are more or less the same age. I think they're both put up yeah. in the fifties. <laughs> so the Bombonera does definitely give a, a more intimate atmosphere. Let's say. Yeah. Uh, I think that's beyond discussion. The other, and yeah. To go back and then the other side, kind of, I guess, the more pragmatic side, even though it would cost again a hell of a lot of money, would be to find another site in La Boca and build a new stadium. Um, so, yeah, as I was saying, the wording of these tweets and this, uh, this repudiation of Donofrio's idea is, is telling. So, you can say from that that as much as Boca fans would love to see a new revamped Bombonera, you'd say if they're gonna do anything, you probably say a new stadium would be would be more likely right yeah I, I, I given would, that I the think two so. aren't yeah, as because very the, likely at the moment indeed. also it was interesting that they, well the feeling of uh, Boca supporters that uh, we, we, we could preview that it will, it will be like that after uh, what Dan said it was the uh, Angelici's response to Donofrio's proposal uh, saying that he will they will move from La Boca but not Bombonera and a lot of supporters corrected him or said no we won't move from La Bomonera not La Boca yeah. and apart from that there was one I think it was quite uh, funny saying we won't but you will <laughs> indeed uh, which, which as Andres says shows some of the anger behind them I'm just looking at the map of La Boca now because it's, it's not the biggest barrio in the city mm. um, in fact it's one of the smallest but it has a fair amount I'm of. I'm going to put my pub quiz Public lands and that kind of thing. Do either of you know which is geographically the smallest barrio in the city? Mm. As well as the oldest. I'm going to give this. It's the oldest and the smallest. Yeah. Hmm. And we, we recorded many, many episodes of Hand of Pod there. San Telmo. There you go. Well done. There we go. Uh, I was thinking perhaps one of these Versaches, Villa Santa Rita, no, one, San, it's one San of the ones no one ever thinks a about. A tiny little bit more than Cochlan. There we um, go. Anyway. La Boca is also one of the smallest, um, and uh, I was just looking at the map because I was thinking, whereabouts would you put another stadium? And in fact, it's precisely in the area that Boca already yeah. own. Um, the advantage of La Boca is it has a lot of brownfield sites, it has a yeah. lot of um, kind of unutilised government land, which probably should be used for social housing and parks and that kind of worthy thing, but money. But I think the, the, the bit that makes most sense is, is that complex right just to the north of, of, of the Bombonera where Boca currently train, I believe. Um, I think that's one of the mooted sites, right? Yeah. Which was supposedly going to be used one. for some community project. But it's the only possibility now, yeah. that I can see, really, uh, inside the barrio. Anyway, mm-hmm. 
Let's move on uh, to some more questions. Obviously, you would have noticed that Wayward from Hayward's question was one of the points that we wanted to talk about anyway, so we thought we'd get it in there um, in along with the questions. He also asks, what exactly did Dario Benedetto do for that yellow card last night in Ibagué? It was ridiculous. Boca should have won, then they should have lost, but it was a great comeback for the result, and Tolima are a physical bunch. I mean, I would say that I didn't really notice Tolima being much more physical than any other side in the Copa Libertadores. Um, no, it was a What did he do for the yellow match. card? I didn't see it. Deliberate handball. I oh, okay. garnered after the match. I tried to get a, a clip of it before we started recording because I saw the question to, to verify, but I failed. So... Yeah, I can't remember if it was justified or not. But I think that's more ridiculous even than yellow card from Renato was the red card that uh, Borre, Santos Borre, received. Uh, He's an idiot, Santos yes. Borre. He got himself <laughs> suspended from the second leg of the Copa Libertadores final for yelling at the ref <laughs> when the ref gave a perfectly understandable and now this, call. Yes. I mean... He, he had a really good spell of form and he's currently on a bit of a dip but he's, he's clearly you know he's, he's got the ability to lift himself out of it but in terms of his head he's just not there is he? Firmus it's head ridiculous. he got sent off for River last night by the way when River were 2-0 up in about the 88th minute and <laughs> miles away from the ball he swung his elbow at one of the players an opponent it was just Idiot. stupid um, Arch Bell says is Christian Bragarnik the most powerful man in Argentine football? He's up there, definitely. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd call him the most powerful. Um, Braganonik is the, um, uh, the super agent, agent. Yes. who has, as we mentioned a couple of months ago, has, has fuelled Defensa y Justicia's rocketing rise of mm. the leagues. Um, carry on now, I'm sorry. I, I just thought I'd better fill other listeners in with that background information. No, I was saying he's certainly up there. I don't know if I'd call him the most powerful just because obviously the AFA is such a top-down overarching organisation I think definitely if we're talking in terms of agents uh, he's he's out there on his own uh, especially in the domestic field um, he seems to have his his finger in a lot of pies mm. uh, but if you're looking overall you, you kind of have to point to guys like Angelisi right um, previously Morshano because of his links to, uh, I was getting there yeah. that well I, I kind of I was kind of get, taking that as a given okay because he's the AFA president and Indeed. should be one of the more powerful ones I was kind of trying to zone in on the men behind the curtain let's say I, 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 what I would like to ask them slightly more seriously is are we going to talk about Mariano Elisondo in all of this the, the CEO of the Superliga I don't think he's there he yet. lied to me but um I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I, I kind of think he should be very much in the conversation given his position, and yet I find it difficult to take him seriously whenever he opens his mouth. I realise that after saying this, I'm probably not going to be getting any phone calls tomorrow to front the Superliga's official English language worldwide uh, transmissions. Well, that Superliga's lost. No doubt that they're planning yeah. on starting up at some point in the next fifteen years. That Superliga's loss. Um, um, in yes a year you would have pointed to guys as well like uh, Alejandro Bursaco right the, um, the ex-CEO of, of Torneos I mean potentially but having said that in, in that particular yes a year there really was only one man who was definitely the most powerful in Argentine football and there was no discussion there and that was the end of the AFA yes. um, whose name we don't mention anymore on <laughs> yeah we do it's Julio Grandona for the benefit of newcomers to the podcast Andres do you have any nominations for this Lofty position. Well, uh, I think that the Bragarnik case reminds me of 
uh, other agents or former agents because now uh, I don't hear anything about them. Uh, for example, Fernando Hidalgo mm. or, or Mascardi mm. or even Simonianis, I think he's still active. Oh, Simonianis, yeah, is, I think he's one of the ones who done uh, sort of hinted is perhaps more influential abroad. He's yes. very good at selling players to Europe. Yeah, there, there was a time in which if you wanted to sell a player to Europe, uh, you will, you should talk or you uh, have to talk to to Mascardi because mm. he had a great a fluid uh, talking with uh, fluid talking with with the members, board members in in the, of, for the clubs in Europe, and uh, he also was the, was the agent of several players, so he will have both. Uh, sides of the communication yeah it was a guy too who I'm not sure if he was Argentine or possibly Uruguayan or something along those lines but who was involved with uh, Rentistas de Montevideo and did the whole triangulation uh, that was how Caleri Jonathan Caleri ended up in Europe no, Caleri was via Deportivo Maldonado or the, ah Maldonado or the that's the one, yeah it was Rentistas and Maldonado, but I can't remember who was behind it. It was no, I can't remember either. Some guy, but if, he if you can remember, yes, please write in. Nate Cubeta says, from a neutral, as a disappointed Independiente fan, <laughs> which Copa Superliga fixtures look to be the most entertaining? There's a couple of interesting ones. Um, so let's go through those again because I mentioned them at the start of the show, yes. but let's mention them again. Tacheres play Atlético Tucumán, Lanús versus Belles, Estudiantes versus Racing. Argentinos versus San Lorenzo, Aldo Civi versus River, Godoy Cruz versus Boca, Tigre versus Union, and Gimnasia versus Defensa y Justicia. There's one down the bottom you missed. Uh, no, those are the second ones. All right, gotcha. Um, for me, the ones that jump off the page are Tigre Union, because Union uh, are capable of playing well. They haven't always played that well this season, but they're capable of it. And of course, Tigre ended the season in really good form. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is probably Godoy Cruz versus Boca largely because of the fact that the first leg is in Mendoza and I think that Godoy Cruz can take something from it. They're pretty strong at home. Yeah, especially and if Boca rests a few players now. Yeah. It depends. A lot of it's going to depend on how seriously these, these top six are taking it. Also, Lanos Vélez, I think, could be one to watch. It's one yeah, of those games you always say, yeah, that could be good. Sometimes it's... Vélez have played good football not. all season and Lanús are quite... Uh, slapdash so it wouldn't surprise me if at least one of those games turns out to be good yeah. and I mean you're quite right Andres that it, it might turn out to be um, one of the, the more entertaining ties over both legs as well and, and as I kind of said earlier Argentino versus San Lorenzo could be absolutely unwatchable or it could turn out to be alright if Argentinos turn up but if mm. that happens then it could also turn out to be a little bit one-sided but mm. then Argentinos have a bit of a habit of letting teams back and into matches when they shouldn't so who knows also, I like to watch the champions. I, I mean, not not because it's racing, but uh, when the champions come back to play and mm. and, and how we, how they do it. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, it's only been three weeks, right? <laughs> Hasn't been yes, a huge yeah, break. True, but um, no, it, it should be. Estudiantes versus Racing, I think, it could get a bit tetchy. If Racing aren't hitting very the normal level, it could be very mm. one-sided. If Racing hit the level that that they showed for most of the league time in the season, mm. if they decide that they're gonna not take it that seriously then the Estudiantes might be able to make it interesting but probably not very pretty um, Liam Kelly who is no relation to me says on next season has it been confirmed that four teams will be relegated and two promoted from a 32 team second division how the hell will that work two groups of direct slash indirectly affiliated two groups of 16 with one promoter from each something right. like that yeah so 
Four teams will be relegated. I don't know whether we've had that confirmed yet because we're back to the subject of how poor communication it's been. Logic was, would dictate that that is the case, though. But there was talk a couple of weeks ago about it maybe being only um, about it being one up and three down, or one up and two down for a couple of seasons before going back to four and two. Um, so we're not really sure where we stand at the moment. I don't know whether. I haven't even seen any any of these reports based on no official communications, having mentioned that. So for the moment, we're assuming that it will be four relegated and two promoted, but we don't know. Yeah, what we do know is that the Nacional B will be, in fact, uh, two groups of 16 teams. And will those 16 it. teams be directly and indirectly affiliated, or will it just be a big mix? Stuff? I believe it will be that, yeah, Metropolitan and Interior. Are there 16, exactly 16 of each, though? I think there is. Oh, well, think that's that, why that's they've a very done, happy coincidence. Well, that's why they've uh, promoted five teams from the Metropolitana and only one from the, ah, the Argentino okay. Aua Federa. Of course, knowing that there was going to be one of each relegated yeah. with that, right. And, of course, only one directly and one indirectly affiliated team went down. Yes. Um, so, in short, Liam, keep listening. Yes. Um, we'll give you more details when we know them. When, when the season kicks off, probably. Logic would dictate that it would be... Four teams going down and then one from each National League group. Mm. But, as we know, logic doesn't always hold sway. We'll see. Scott Lacey says, Why did the AFA schedule the Copa de la Superliga after the regular league schedule, thus having already relegated clubs playing in a cup competition which they can't win the Continental Club competition spots for? Assuming that the rule is similar to the Superliga itself. The first thing to say is, the AFA didn't schedule it. The Superliga did. Um, there are uh, statutes that the AFA now giving the Superliga full control over their own fixture scheduling. The second thing to say is that your assumption, and I did check this because I've seen it reported both ways in the last couple of weeks, so I actually looked up the official regulations on the AFA website, and your assumption is, I'm relieved to say, Scott, incorrect. Um, through the league... Obviously, as we have already mentioned a couple of times, Tigre should have qualified for the Copa Sudamericana by virtue of finishing ninth, but did not because of the fact they were relegated. So their Sudamericana spot has gone to Colón. However, in the... Huracán. Uh, sorry, thank you to Huracán. I don't know why I said Colón. Um, in the regulations, which I'm looking at right now via the AFA website, the Superliga 2018-19 uh, regulations, there is a specific exception... So, first of all, there is a rule to state that no relegated team um, can... Uh, sorry, no team who are not taking part in the 2019-20 to 20 Copa... Uh, <laughs> I've shat the bed all over this. That noise is Sam's tongue twisting in. Yes. No team who are not taking part in the 2019-20 to 20 Superliga are allowed to take part in the 2020 Copas Libertadores or Sudamericana. That's the first one. There are specific exceptions... Four, a case where either a relegated or lower division team win the Copa Argentina or a case where a team wins either the Copa Libertadores or the Copa Sudamericana and gets relegated mm-hmm. or a case where an already relegated team wins the Copa Superliga. In other words, so Tigre are the only relegated team left Or finishes runner-up, right? Because that would be... Uh, so that, it doesn't play. say that in the regulation I'm looking at. It just I'm says guessing that's that implied, sure. So the... Yeah, we're not going with implications where the AFA are concerned. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's a dangerous road to tread. Um, so the regulations as they are written state that if Tigre reach the final of the Copa Superliga and lose it, 
they won't be allowed into next year's Sudamericana. But as far as the regulations are concerned, if they win the Copa Superliga, they will be in next year's Libertadores group stage. And also another thing that I saw asked, and I think I mentioned this to our Patreon supporters on Sunday night, um, is I did see a few people asking, they weren't asking me, but I noticed that it was being asked by other people, and I thought, oh, that's a pretty good question, actually. What happens if the top four from the Superliga which had just finished, mm. end up being the last four left in the Copa Superliga. And I had a look at the tree, and it is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the semi-finals in that case would be River, Racing and Defensive with DC against Boca. Right. If that happens, then the subsequent uh, Libertadores and Sudamericana places from the Copa Superliga topple down the league table. In other right. words, Atletico Tucumán... So, regardless of who won the Copa Superliga, if, if those four sides reach the semis, the... Automatic Copa Superliga winner's spot in next year's group stage goes to River. Mm-hmm. River's current Superliga spot for the playoffs for next year's Libertadores goes to fifth place Atletico Tucumán in the Superliga. <laughs> right? And then the Superliga spots... So Atletico Tucumán's Superliga spot obviously means that we have everybody down to 11th with the exception of Tigre qualifying. Mm-hmm. And then the, Superliga, the Copa Superliga um, runner-up spot in next year's Sudamericana goes to the team in 12th of the Superliga. My so head hurts. If you were wondering, then that's what happens. Cross um, but as I say, in the regulations, um, for Tigre, to, Tigre can't qualify for the Sudamericana, but they can qualify for the Libertadores. We think, at least. Uh, that's think. what the regulations say. They, they obviously don't spell it out that expressly, but it does say there is a specific... Uh, expressly... Express? There is an express <laughs> exception um, for teams who qualify by either... Winning this year's Copa Libertadores, winning this year's Copa Sudamericana, winning this year's Copa Argentina, and winning this year's Copa Superliga. It doesn't mention being runner-up of this year's Copa Superliga. And they definitely would like to get to win the Copa, Copa Superliga, providing the way they are playing and, and they have been relegated. A lot of people will say, or Tigre supporters will say, unfair, it was unfair, or the, the, the thing is that they are playing well and uh, of course, it will be strange again. I think uh, what was the last time a, a, a team in playing in National B played also the Copa Libertadores? I, I, I think it's I'm not aware of it having yeah. happened. I remember Estudiantes playing it t- 20 years ago or 15. How uh, did that happen? Sure. Do you remember yeah. how they qualified? Yes, I don't remember the way they qualified, but I remember they being played. Uh, for sure, that uh, playing National B or second division and also the Copa Libertadores. Really? Uh, it was some time ago. But, yeah. uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not aware um, of it happening. In Argentina, I'm not aware yes. of it having happened. Obviously, there's a team playing this current edition of the Copa Sudamericana uh, from the Paraguayan second division, mm-hmm. Independiente de. Is it Campo Grande or something? Independiente something Football like that, Club. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's their full name. Um, but yeah, it's obviously happened a few times in, in other countries uh, in the last few years. But in, I'm sure I'm not saying that it hasn't happened, Andres. I'm just saying that in my memory, I can't remember it having happened. So you're probably right about it being a Estudiantes, uh, being the most recent side to do it. Um, those are all of the questions that we have had. So when we come back from this next piece of music, you'll hear Mystic Sam's predictions for the weekend to come. Here we go then. 
off the top of my head, here's how I think this weekend's matches will go. Tacheres host Atletico Tucumán, and I think that Tacheres will get a narrow win in that one. Lanús versus Vélez, which as Andres says, has the potential to be one of the more entertaining games of the weekend. Um, I'm going for Vélez to win it, I think. Yeah, let's go for that. Estudiantes versus Racing. I've got about the champions, haven't I? So I reckon Racing. so, yeah. Uh, those are the only two games on Saturday, by the way. So if you're looking forward to a nice, beautiful afternoon out and doing things before the, the first game starts at six, then you've got it, because there are only two matches, which is fantastic. Good to know. Argentinos Juniors versus San Lorenzo. I'm going for Argentinos to win that. Aldo Civi versus River, I think, will be a draw. Sit on the, on the fence a little bit with these big sides playing away because I don't know how seriously they're going to take it. I think River will end up qualifying from the two legs, but since River are away in that first leg, I think it'll be a draw. Godoy Cruz versus Boca. Hmm. I think Boca are going to win that. Tigre versus Union. I'm going to back Tigre. And uh, Gimnasia versus Defensa y Justicia, I think, will be a draw. Any thoughts, gents? I mean, we've already been asked which, were the, which are the more entertaining looking matches, and we've already answered that, so I won't ask uh, that standard question that I normally... Put. No, nothing too controversial there, I don't think. We shall see what happens. Yes, I don't think there will be any uh, really, really surprising results here. I think no. San Lorenzo, I, I think it will be uh, tight uh, with Argentinians who provided the at least uh, this edition of Copa, uh, first edition of Copa Superliga, to be great against Independiente. Uh, I think San Lorenzo will pass there, and then the other the other draws uh, with the Grandes, I think that will be easily decided for them. Yeah. Argentinas do have a fine Copa Superliga Liga pedigree, right? Indeed. That's what yeah. they're going to be appealing to this but week. They've been involved in two of the approximately four or five watchable Copa Superliga matches Indeed. in history. So it doesn't far. get much better than that. Um, the thing with Argentinos, though, I always think is just, at the moment at least, it very much depends on what kind of mood Alexis McAllister and Damian Batashini are in. Mm. Sometimes one or both of them are really switched on, as, as they were in the first leg against Independiente. Um, and, and they can be quite nice to watch. And, you know, in the first leg against Independiente, I made the point after that game as well, that really Argentinos dominated that for most of the game and Independiente were a bit lucky to to only lose 3-2 um, but uh, sometimes if, if one or both of them goes missing it's a bit mm. iffy although I will say if there are any Brighton fans listening that Alexis McAllister I think has started to look a lot more consistent in the last couple of months so indeed well he's benefited he from not playing under Carboni at least indeed we, yeah. we know his player cancer absolutely mm. at any rate on that note we're going to leave you I've just realised we never um, offered up an image of the weekend just gone from Fanatis. Mm, so, yes. any nominations, gents? Um, I'm going to go for Batashini's relatively late aggregate winner for Argentinos. Um, in that, well, obviously it was, a, it was an equaliser on the night from, from the corner. It was a fantastic goal, and obviously the celebrations that it sparked in the away dugout um, at the Estadio Libertadores de America were long and well deserved, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, that's probably going to be mine. Although those two goals in about 20 seconds, it's just a shame for Tacheres that they weren't scored in the same half. Because mm. otherwise that would definitely have been it. I'll go on with that, yeah. Why not? 
So there we go. That was the image of the weekend brought to you by Fanatis, our sponsors. You should head over to fntz.co slash HOP um, and then use the discount code HOPFZ to get 20% off your first three months. Please do go to that link, not to fanatis.com. Uh, again, fntz.co slash HOP so that they know that we're the ones who sent you. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, thank you very much to Andres and to Dan for being with me. And we'll talk at you again in about a week's time. Bye for now from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From Dan. Goodbye. And from me. Goodbye. Full time in the Copa Libertadores de América. Uh, San Lorenzo, as I hinted, they might do earlier. Funny that, isn't it? have lost to Atletico Junior 1-0 in Colombia. That's the first goal that Junior have managed in the group stage of the Libertadores this year. So well done them.